Good morning. It is a real pleasure and an honor to be here. Your church has been a big part of our life for many years. We moved, Kay and I moved to Nashville about 40 years ago, so I could go to work at what was then the Baptist Sunday School Board. And right after we moved here, the first Sunday that I was here, Kay had had surgery. She wasn't able to come immediately. So my supervisor, <clears throat> excuse me, invited me to go to church with him, and he took me to a church called Brentwood Baptist. We didn't know anything about churches in Nashville. And so later on, we visited some other churches when Kay got here, and we ended up joining Brentwood Baptist. That's where Nathan and our daughter Amy went as preschoolers. <clears throat> later, I found out that Brentwood Baptist Church was a plant of Woodmont Baptist Church. Now, we belong, Kay and I do, to the church at Station Hill, which is a plant of Brentwood Baptist Church. You see how this goes. So we're very grateful you've had a large role in our lives ever since we've been here these 40 years. And now you have another significant role. Last year you voted, you and God voted to call Nathan Parker as your senior pastor. And we knew that Nathan always, that God had called him to be a pastor and one day that God would lead him to do that. And you were the, you were the agency God used to allow that to happen. And we're so grateful that you did. And we're so grateful for the love and the support and encouragement you give to Nathan and Morgan and their grandchildren. So we will always be grateful for your role, that role in our church. And, and we worship with you every Sunday. No, we're not here, but we record the broadcast every Sunday. And after we go to Station Hill, then we turn on the TV and we watch Station Hill and our recording. So we're with you every Sunday. And we're always praying for you. Thank you for all you've done, your mission, your mission, the way you've been faithful at all these years. And as Nathan often says, we just looked at, we're excited to see what God is going to do in the next 75 years. And I'm grateful that he's old. Nathan asked me to come and, and supply for him today and to finish this series on the discipleship <clears throat> phase of the worship in the church. And I think about discipleship, I think there's a, a lot of things we think about. One of the words that's key here is follow. What do you think of the words when you hear the word follow? Today in our culture, especially this group over here, they think about social media, right? We're following somebody in social media. Now, people like us that are gray here, we're following our children and our grandchildren. Kids are following each other, and they're following somebody that's important to them. There are all kinds of ways and groups and things like that that we follow. But Jesus had a different use for that word. There was no social media in the first century, so he wasn't talking about putting somebody on social media. Well, what did he mean? And then he added a, a really important section to his definition of follow, and it was, there is a cost. There is a cost to be my disciple. So that's what we want to look at this morning. If you would, turn in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 9. <clears throat> we'll be reading these verses in a minute, but let me give you a bit of an introduction to the context here. If you look back at verses 18 through 20, Jesus pulled his 12 apostles aside from the rest of the crowds, and he said, I want to ask you a couple of questions. And he asked him the first one, was a good teacher, it was a kind of a general question. And he said, who do people say that I am? He had been ministering now probably about two years, public ministry. And so they said, well, some people say you're John the Baptist, which was a miracle because John the Baptist was dead. He would have had to come back to life. But some people thought that Jesus was like John the Baptist because he was so bold and so forceful in his, his speaking and his leading. And then some said, well, you're, you must be Elijah because the Old Testament says that before the Messiah comes, then one one's going to come before him to prepare the way, and that's going to be Elijah. God's going to send him back from heaven. And then others said, well, you're one of the prophets. You know, the God is brought back, resurrected. And then Jesus narrowed the focus down. <clears throat> he said, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter, never hesitant to talk, he said, well, you're the Christ. And Matthew's gospel says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. He got it right. He got the words right. 
The problem was he didn't under, really understand the words. He called Jesus Messiah, but he, he had a different view, and all the rest of the disciples did too. They thought of a military, political leader who was going to march into Jerusalem, throw the Romans out, and set up a kingship in Jerusalem on the throne there, and everything was going to be great. It was going to be like King David and King Solomon all over again. That's not what Jesus intended. Well, what did he intend? <clears throat> Look with me at this passage, and as Nathan asked you to do, if you're able to stand, would you stand with me? This is the Word of God, so let's honor it. <clears throat> and if you would <clears throat> follow in your Bibles, I'm reading from the New International Version. That's the one that I typically use, so whatever translation you're using, we will follow together. Beginning with chapter 9, verse 22. <clears throat> and he, and Jesus said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. And look down at the end of the chapter, beginning with verse 50, 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. This is the word of God. Would you pray with me? Dear God, we thank you for this word. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you inspired Luke to write these words, to give us this picture of the life of Jesus. Now, Holy Spirit, we ask you to speak this message to us, to our, as Trey was talking about, to our individual lives in a unique way that we need to hear. Guide us, dear God, in this time for your glory and your purpose. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> so what did Jesus mean when he talked about following? First, he said, you need to understand who I am. They thought he was going to be the conquering hero, but what does he say in verse 22? He doesn't talk about being the con conquering hero. He said, I'm going to Jerusalem, all right, but I'm not going to sit on the throne. I'm going to die. Because the, the leaders there, the religious leaders, they're, they're opposed to me. They're rejecting me. They don't believe I'm who, who I say I am, what you said, or that I'm the Messiah. So they're going to hand me over to the Romans, they're going to crucify me, they're going to put me in my body in the grave, I'll be there three days, but on the third day I will rise again. Well, this was beyond the comprehension of his disciples. You can see this as you go through the Gospels, that, you know, sometimes somebody's talking to you and you already have your mind set about the, an opinion about something, and it doesn't really matter what they say because you don't hear them. All you hear is what you think you hear, <clears throat> which fits in with your line of reasoning, your thought. Well, that's the way these guys were. The traditions all said the Messiah is going to be the conquering hero, and so they, they really didn't hear Jesus. It wasn't until after his death, his resurrection, and then the Holy Spirit came that they finally got it. He came to be a suffering servant, not a conquering hero. And then Jesus goes on. He said, now that's the kind of Messiah I'm going to be. What kind of a disciple are you going to be? And verse 23, I think, is one of the most significant verses in all the Bible. Notice what it says. Let's just look, the word, look at the words carefully. He begins, if anyone would come after me. <clears throat> it's important to take this word anyone very seriously. It's just on face value. Romans 10, 13 says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, whoever. And that, that's the invitation. Anyone can come. 
You can come. It doesn't matter your background, whatever. I mean, look at the people that Jesus hung out with when he was on the earth. They were the sinners. They were the prostitutes. They were the tax collectors, and he hung out with them. One day, Jesus, some of the religious leaders complained about who he hung out with, and he said, I didn't come to call the righteous to repentance, but the sinners. Those who need to come, those who don't think, they realize they're not already righteous. They need something. And all of us are invited. God invites us all. The sermon that Nathan preached recently on last week, wasn't it, Matthew 28, as we go into the world, we are to go to all the nations, all the people groups of the world, all 11,000 of those groups, and tell them because everyone can come to Jesus. The other thing about this is we must come. Anyone, everyone must come. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. So we can come, but we also must come. Then Jesus begins to really narrow the focus, and he says three things there that are they're just so critical. We've got to make sure we understand them. He says, first, if you're going to come after me, any person that does that must deny himself. Well, what does it mean by himself? Who are we? Well, the Bible says we are three things. We are body, we're soul, and we're spirit. We're not, you can't dissect us and say, well, here's the soul and here's the body. We're all three. The body is just, you know, what you see is what you get. <clears throat> but the body is also, the Bible says, the source of our sinful nature. We tend to follow our appetites, and we do so many things the wrong way because of our, our humanness and our sinfulness, and that's not a good thing. The soul is who we really are. The body is temporary. We're going to die. These bodies are going to die. Read 1 Corinthians 15 about that. But then one day, if we're Christians, if we're followers of Jesus, we're going to get a new body, and it's going to be different. The soul is immortal. It's eternal. It's never going to go away. The soul is our personality, our mind, our will, our emotions. It's what makes us unique. And the third part is our spirit. Where do we get a spirit? Where, do we, where did that come from? We'll go back to Genesis 1. Remember when God said, let us make man in our image? And then it goes on to say, he created the man and the woman in the, in the image of God. That's the spiritual nature. We don't look like God on the outside. It's the inside, our spiritual nature. And our spiritual nature is what allows us, enables us to, to communicate with God, to, to realize when we sang these songs like we've been hearing, like we've been singing, to realize there's something more than us, and it affects our whole being. We are soul, we are body, we are soul, and we're spirit. When he talks about our, himself, ourselves, he's talking about all of this. You may remember when somebody asked Jesus about the greatest commandment, he said, you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, everything you've got. That's who we are, and that's what Jesus is talking about. What does he say that we must do with ourselves? He says we must deny ourselves. Now, he doesn't mean we are to deny our worth. I mean, God sent his son Jesus to die for us. How much more worth can anybody have? First John says that God sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He, he loves us so much, he gave up his only son to die for us. When he was perfect, he didn't have to die. <clears throat> but God sent him to do that for us. So God loves us so much. It's not that we're denying our worth. We're denying something else. When I was a youth minister like Trey and like Nathan used to be, <clears throat> and like our daughter has been, <clears throat> it kind of runs in our family, and when, we were, when I was a youth minister and started out, I had, only, I had seminary degree, but I was trained as a pastor. I thought that's what God wanted me to do, and I thought someday he'd lead me into that role. <clears throat> he did, but it was not until I was 50 years old. <clears throat> but it, at that point, I was trying to learn everything I could about how to be a youth minister. So I read all the books. I went to all the seminars. One of the seminars I went to was led by a man who used to be a youth minister. And he had counseled thousands of youth. He had studied his Bible, and God had shown him some basic principles about how to help youth become disciples of Jesus and follow him. And one of the things he talked about that, that, that youth encountered that held them back was their unyielded rights. 
unyielded rights. And he gave some examples. He said there was this teenager that came in for counseling, and she was all mad at her sister. He said, why are you so angry with your sister? Well, she took my favorite blouse, and she went out and wore it and got it dirty, and she never even asked for permission to do that. It's my blouse. I have a right to that. And then he talked about a boy, who, a guy in school that tried out for the team, and he didn't make the team, but his buddy did. He said, well, I'm better than that, that guy. I deserve to be on the team. You see, we have this problem about our rights. We, we have, a, we have a, a, a declaration of independence as a country that says we have certain inalienable rights. We have a bill of rights. And you look at the commercials, you look at all the, the propaganda and the marketing that goes on it. What does it talk about? It says, you have a right to enjoy this. You have a right, you have an entitlement to all these benefits. And so our culture just immerses us in this thing that we have rights. What did the Apostle Paul say? What did he say? He said, I am, in his writings, he introduced several of his letters. He said, I am a servant of Jesus Christ. And the word servant is really, could be translated, I am a slave. And it's the lowest kind of slave. It was the one who washed the dirty feet of the dinner guests that were coming to the, to the party at this house. <clears throat> what we, what we get up, we get this thing about rights in our head, and that, that's, that, that just creates all kinds of problems. Now you say, well, that's the teenager. That's, that's immaturity. Let me ask you, when's the last time you got angry? You remember? Maybe somebody cut you off on Hillsborough Road. Maybe somebody at work got a promotion or a, an award, and you thought, well, I deserve that. Maybe if somebody got mad at you and they started spreading untrue rumors about you, either verbally or on social media or something like that, and, and you got angry about that, I can understand that because we have a thousand ways that we think are our things that we think are our rights. But when we follow Jesus, we don't have any rights. Paul said, I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. What, what rights does a slave have? The only rights a slave has is to please his master. And that's who we are. We are slaves to our master is Jesus Christ. And the deal is when we give up all our rights, then and only then can we follow Jesus as we should. Then we can follow Jesus with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. But we've got to give up our rights. That's what he means when he says we must deny ourselves. And then he goes on to take up our cross daily. Take up our cross. Well, what did the disciples think when they heard the word cross? Well, they weren't talking about you know, they didn't see a cross in a church. They didn't have Christian churches in the first century. They weren't talking about little pendants that we wear, you know, guys and girls, sometimes ladies, men, wear pendants, wooden crosses or metal crosses. And they weren't talking about tats of crosses that some people have on their body or their arms or wherever. What was he talking about? When they thought about a cross, they thought about a Roman cross. What was a Roman cross used for? It was used to execute people. And it was a horrible death, and the Romans wanted to make sure it was really horrible. It would last sometimes for days. People would not die from blood loss. They would die from dehydration and asphyxiation. And their whole point was, if you go against Rome, this is what's going to happen to you. And it was a scary thing, and so it did kind of hold people back when they got to thinking about rebelling against Rome. Did Jesus mean that we're all going to have to be ready to go get crucified? Was that what he was telling his disciples? No. <clears throat> not all of them died. We know that John lived to a pretty ripe old age on the island of Patmos, and we don't, some believe that he went back to Ephesus and helped pastor a church there. But many of them did. John the Baptist was beheaded. James, the, leader of the, the first leader of the church in Jerusalem, he was beheaded. Stephen was stoned to death. And then it went on and on and on, and we know for centuries that Rome attacked the Christians. They would put them in animal skins and take them to the Colosseum and release wild animals so they would come and tear them apart. They would wrap their bodies in tar and put them on poles and set them on fire. 
Thousands and thousands and millions of Christians have died. Even yesterday, I was looking and reading a news report about the Boko Haram in Africa. <clears throat> I understand you have somebody in your church here that was a, a missionary in Africa for 33 years, I think he told me. And in that country today, the Boko Haram went into a village <clears throat> and they slaughtered all the Christians because it was a Christian village. They are Muslim, and they didn't want any of these Christians to be alive. They thought they were doing the will of God to kill these people. And it goes on all over the world. But now, <clears throat> Jesus doesn't call us all to go die in our lifetime. He doesn't say you're going to have to die. But what does he say? Have you heard of the, a movement called I Am Second? I Am Second? They have a website, and you go look at it. When you go there, you see a lot of video testimonies of people. <clears throat> and the testimonies are, and some of these are pretty well-known people, some famous people. Like, uh, there's a, I think it's Scott Hamilton, and he's the skater, the famous guy that's here. And his, he's got a testimony on, on there. And in their testimony, they talk about how they decided to follow Jesus. And they realized to really follow Jesus, they couldn't be first in their life anymore. They couldn't, be, they, themselves, their bad values, their attitudes, their rights could not be at the top. <clears throat> and so in their testimony somewhere, they always say, <clears throat> and I am second. Let me just read you their, their vision statement, what it says. We seek a world where people become second, serving and loving each other <clears throat> as they put Jesus first. It's very simple. Jesus is first. I'm second. Paul says in Romans 12, 1, if we are to offer our bodies and our souls and our spirits to God on, as living sacrifices, that's kind of a strange wording, living sacrifice. You think of sacrifices being dead. But that's what he says. We don't have to die to serve Jesus. We, are to, we can live and serve Jesus. We just need to do it with the attitude that that I'm dead to myself. Paul says in another place in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's not me. I don't have that attitude anymore. We need to be able to take up our cross daily. Every morning you get up and say, God, you're in charge. I'm not first. I'm not even maybe second. I just want to follow you. But that's what Jesus calls us to do. And then he says, and follow me. Take up your cross daily and then follow me. What is the one of the most popular types of video on YouTube? I was looking around the other day trying to find help on doing, fixing a thing on my problem in my car. And so I pulled it up, and it had a list of all the most popular videos. You know, the number, number one video, the most popular video recently, was on how to hit a golf ball. A million and a half people had clicked on that. Why would they go to YouTube? Why don't they just read it somewhere? Because it's so much better to see somebody doing it. You can understand it better. That's why I love to watch it when I'm trying to, one day I was trying to put on golf grips, and now I'm trying to fix this thing in my car. It's so much better if somebody will show me how to do it. You see, that's what Jesus did. He showed us how to live. He showed us how to please God. He showed us how to honor God. He showed us how to bring glory to God. And all you got to do is read the Gospels. <clears throat> read the four Gospels. I would challenge you that every year you read through at least one Gospel just to remind yourself of who Jesus is is who he was, how he lived, his priorities, his values, what he taught, what he said, what he did, all those things. And then just focus yourself on him. <clears throat> you can also read books like I read one recently called The Insanity of God, The Insanity of God. It's, it's a collection of stories really about people all over the world who are following Jesus in the extreme, by we would say, extreme ways that they are sacrificing themselves to follow Jesus. And if you, don't, you need some other names of books, I'm sure you can talk to your pastor and he can mention some for you. Hebrews 12, 2 says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And then Paul says in Philippians 2, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. 
your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. How do you, how do, you do that? You just look at Jesus. When I was uh, a younger father, <clears throat> sometimes, and I know this never happened to you dads, but sometimes I'd be reading the paper or watching television, and my daughter would come up to me. She, she, both of our kids like to talk, <clears throat> as you know. <clears throat> and she would start talking to me, and I'm, I'm, I'm going, uh-huh, uh-huh, and I'm still watching or doing whatever. And she would take my face and just turn it. <laughs> Look at me, Dad. I have something to say to you. And it kind of made a point. <laughs> I wasn't focusing on her. And that's what Jesus says we must do if we're going to follow him. We just need to know who he is and focus on him and then follow That's how we do that. Why did Jesus say that our decision to follow him this way was so important? Because in verse 24, he says, you have a choice, and it's it's a life-changing choice. If you follow me and obey me, you're going to save your life. You're going to enjoy your life. You're going to get all these benefits of meaning and purpose and hope, all these kind of blessings from that. But if you refuse to do that, you may gain some things in this world, but you're going to lose what really matters. You're going to lose what's eternal. So Jesus said, come after me and follow me, and then you will have all of this as well. I'm grateful that Luke included some examples of following. Look down at verse 57, three examples here. He mentions three men who were invited to follow Jesus. The first one doesn't say that Jesus called him, but obviously the man, he says, I'll follow you. He intended to follow. Maybe Jesus hadn't called him specifically, but this man knew that. And then Jesus responds to him in kind of a strange way. He starts talking about the animals. He said, the birds, they don't have a place. They have nests, and the foxes have holes to live. Son of man doesn't have any place. What's the connection between following Jesus and this thing about animals? Jesus was divine. He was human, but he was also divine. Several places in Scripture says Jesus knew the thoughts of somebody. I think he knew the thought of this man. This man really hadn't considered the cost of following Jesus. I think this man still had a problem with the creature comforts, we would say. He, he wanted a place to put his head down every night. He wanted to know he had food every day. He wanted to know that he had security every day. And Jesus said, you follow me, none of that's guaranteed. None of that's guaranteed. So Jesus was really encouraging this man to follow him, but to count the cost first. Count the cost first, then come and follow. What about the second man? Well, the second man, he said to another man, Jesus did in verse 59, follow me, but the man replied, first let me go and bury my father. Now, there's a debate among scholars, biblical scholars, what does that mean? Some people say, well, his father just died, and he needs to go bury him. There are other groups of scholars that think it means something else, and that's what I think it means. You remember the story in Luke 15 that Jesus told about the prodigal son? And this man had two boys, one of them took his money, went off and spent it all. But he had an elder brother that stayed there. Well, when the prodigal came back and the father threw this party, man, the elder brother, he was stewed. He was so mad, his rights had been violated. And what did he tell his daddy? He said, man, I have been here all this time. I have served you faithfully all these years. And you, your son goes out and does all this, and you throw him a party. You see the point. He said, I'm doing what good boys do, what elder sons are supposed to do. I stay, I serve, and I'm going to take care of you until you die, and then when you die, I'm going to give you a great burial. I think that's what this man was saying. He says, my father's elderly, and my job as the elder son is to take care of him until he dies, give him a proper funeral, and then I know I'll inherit two-thirds of the the inheritance, I'll get all that, and then I can do whatever I want to, but then I'm going to stay, I'm going to wait. And Jesus... Notice what, look, look what Jesus says to him. Let the dead bury their dead. What, what in the world is he talking about? Another way you could say this is let those who are spiritually dead 
bury those who are physically dead. Let those who are spiritually dead bury those who are physically dead. What he was saying was that some of your family, some of your friends, they're going to reject me. They're never going to be spiritually alive. Let them take care of your father. Let them bury your father when he dies. You need to come now. Another event that happened to me when I was in youth ministry, we had an associational youth camp, and I took our youth from our church, like Trey took y'all's. I took them to this camp, and the leaders asked me to teach one of the Bible study groups that met each morning, and I got connected with a a young guy who was probably about a junior or senior in high school. And he came up to me one day, and he said, can we talk for a minute? And I said, sure, and I set up an appointment. We, We met. And this guy, Amy, was a good-looking kid, he was smart, and he, was, and he knew all the Bible stuff, he knew all the facts about God and everything. You know what he, what he wanted? He said, I know what the thing is that I should do. I should follow Jesus. I should deny myself and take up my cross and follow Jesus. I get that. But, I mean, I'm a kid. I, I'm, I'm just in my teens. I want to go out and have fun in this life. And then, after I've had some fun for a few years, then maybe then maybe I'll start following Jesus. And he didn't say it exactly, but I think what he was really kind of fishing for was my blessing. He said, hey, that's a great idea. Why don't you do that? Do I look that stupid? (laughs) I mean, I tried every way in the world to talk him out of that. But he said, no, I'll think about it. And he walked out. I I still remember this. This was like 40 years ago, and I still remember. I wonder what happened to that kid, to that guy. Did he ever start following Jesus? You see, that's what Jesus knew about this guy. Your, your father may live one year, five years, ten years, and then you're saying you're going to come start following me? Well, you can't. Not physically. I'm not going to be here that long. And he says, I don't even think you'll start following me spiritually because you're going to lose interest after that time. You've got an open window here, and I don't know how long it's going to last, but you need to start following me now. The writer of the Psalms in Psalm 95, he said that, If you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. If you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Start following me now. Then Jesus comes to the third man and says, follow me. And this this is kind of a similar situation. He's got a family situation. He says, I need to go. I just want to go tell my family bye. I don't want to stay for years, just maybe a few days a week, have a party or two, and have enjoy being with my family. You know, if you go back in the Old Testament, 1 Kings, Elisha did the same thing when Elijah called him to, to be his follow-up guy, to, to follow in his steps, to be his disciple. And he said, I need to go home and do that. And Elijah was a little, you know, he said, okay, if you got to do that, but I, you know, whatever. And he, and he did come back. Jesus didn't do that here. Jesus said a very harsh thing to this man. Look what he said in verse 62. No one who put, puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service to the kingdom of God. Jesus didn't give that man any wiggle room at all. He said, if you're really going to be my disciple, you're going to understand the cost, and you're going to be willing to pay the cost. And then in the negative way, he says, you cannot be my disciple unless you're willing to pay the cost, and unless you're willing to pay the cost now. That's what he said to this man. <clears throat> what does that mean for us well, it means, for one thing, we need to make sure that we have a relationship with God. When I was eight years old, I had my pastor came and talked to me, and I knew all, I mean, I've been to church all the time. I knew all the Bible answers, and I gave him good answers. And then he opened the door, my parents came in that night, my dad filled out a car. A couple of weeks later, I was baptized, and I thought I was a Christian. I mean, I grew up in the church, and I was doing all this good stuff. <clears throat> then when I was 25, God just knocked me down, and he interrupted my life. And he showed me that I knew a lot of stuff. I mean, I'd been to seminary and all this, 
but I didn't know him. I had a religion, but I didn't have a relationship. World of difference. And I had to think about it a minute. I think, well, I mean, look at this. What's it going to do to me? I'm on church staff at this church. Are they going to let? Are they going to fire me? They don't want a new believer. I don't know what's going to happen. I thought about the cost, and then I prayed. I said, okay, I know the deal. I know what I'm supposed to do, and I did it. And then I began my relationship. Do you understand what it means to follow Jesus? How you start? You have to know some basic facts. I try to keep things simple for me and other people. You have to know who God is. He's the creator of the universe. He's the only true God. You've got to get that part right. He's the one that sent Jesus. You've got to know who you are. You're a sinner. You have disobeyed God. You've been formed in the image of God, but you messed it up. We all did. Romans 3.23, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then you have to know who Jesus is. You and I need a Savior, and He is the only one. Peter told the authorities in Jerusalem, he says, there's only one name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved. You have to know that, but that's still not enough. The devil, the Bible says, the devils know about God. They know about Jesus. They know who he is, but they don't become Christians. They're not saved. You have to go one step further. Romans 10:9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you'll be saved. And Hebrews 11:6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. You must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. You have to take the knowledge and put with that the faith that God gives you. And then you make this knowledge-based, faith-connected commitment to start following Jesus. You know, you may be here today, and maybe you were like me. You were very, you've been religious. You've been in church. You've been in all the church things. You're a good person. But do you have a relationship with God? You need to be sure. <clears throat> because if you're not sure, you know what Satan does? He comes in and he starts playing with our mind. He messes us up and he thinks, gets us doubting and we're no effective when we got doubts. We have to be absolutely certain to go through this life. We have to be absolutely certain that we know who we are and that we have this relationship. You've got to do that. And so I would challenge you. I've shared my testimony in full sometimes. I've had a lot of people come up to me and say, well, I'm not sure if I'm saved or not. And I always tell them one simple thing. Ask God. 1 John 5.13 says that these things are written so that you may know you have eternal life. Read 1 John. Go talk to God. Ask Him to show you anything in your life that would help you make sure. You don't have to know a date and an hour like I did. You just have to know that at some point in your life, you committed to follow Jesus. And you started doing that, and you can see a change in your life ever since then. And yeah, every time, I, I kind of put the thumb on them, and I say, you've got to come back and tell me. You gotta, uh, if you don't call me, I'm going to call you. And they always come back. Most of the people who come back say, yes, He showed me. Back at this point in my life, that's when I started. I don't remember the day and the hour necessarily, but I know I'm absolutely certain that I have a relationship with God. A few come back and they say, I realize the truth. The truth is, I don't have a relationship with God. And I always tell them, then you have another decision to make. Are you going to start following Jesus? If, you don't, if you're not sure, then go ask God to tell you. Maybe you're absolutely sure. Maybe you're absolutely sure you don't have a relationship with Jesus then you need to know these basic facts, and you need to take the faith God gives you, and you need to make that commitment to start following Jesus. If you're not sure how to do it on your own, go find somebody you know and trust, and ask them to help you. You can come down here after this, during the invitation we're going to sing in a minute. You can ask me or Trey or somebody else here. Rachel will be glad to help you understand what that means. But don't wait. If you've heard the voice of God, don't harden your heart. Some of you... Hopefully, most of you know that you have a relationship with God. So how are you doing in that? How are you growing in your ability to follow Jesus? What's Nathan been preaching on for the last, 
what, two months now, the functions of the church, right? So he's been talking about how, where do you start? With your worship, with your evangelism, now discipleship. He's going to be talking about ministry and fellowship. How are you doing in those areas? Is that something just for somebody else to do in the church? Seems to me we all ought to be involved in all five of those activities. And not just within the four walls of the church. Some of them like evangelism. We do a lot better. We have more opportunities outside the four walls of the church. How are you doing on that? At our church, our pastor, Jay Strother, he's got a bunch of people in our congregation like me who likes things simple and clear, like with the three points I gave you a little while ago about what you got to know. So he's, he's, I think it was not original with him, but what he uses, what he calls the four T's, the four T's, our time, our talents, our treasures, and our testimony. And from time, he doesn't do this every week, but from time to time, he'll ask us, how are you doing in your stewardship? How are you using... Your time, how much of your time are you given to serve God and serve others? What about your talents and your abilities and your spiritual gifts? How are you using those? You've got all these things that you can do to serve God and serve others. Well, how are you using them? Then your treasures, yeah, you ought to be given a tithe to the church. But what about that person in your Sunday school class, your friends or somebody that, you know, they had a, they had a death in their family and they don't have the, the money to pay for transport. They don't have the money to pay for an airline ticket to go to that family, go, go to the funeral even. How, are you helping those people with the money? You've got enough. Are you giving them some of that? How are you using your treasures? And then your testimony, yeah, you ought to be able to tell how you got saved in the first place so you could show somebody else how to be saved. But what about all the ups and downs in your life? The things, the things, the times when you were so up with God, everything was great, when you rejoiced with God. How did God help you rejoice? And what about the times that were hard and were difficult and you were down and you were depressed and you were suffering and yet God was there too? Can you build those into a testimony to share with somebody else? That's what we mean by testimony. How are you doing in serving God and in following Jesus? Ask the Holy Spirit to help you grow, because it's never a static thing. You you need to keep growing or you're going to go backwards. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you grow. Ask Him to give you the willingness to grow, because you see that it's so much better to do the will of God and to follow Jesus all the time. Ask Ask Him to enable you to keep growing. Jesus paid it all, we say. He paid it all. He paid all the costs so that you and I could experience the joy, the hope, the peace, the assurance, all these blessings that come from knowing Him and having that relationship with God our Father. If we're serious about following Jesus, then we have to be serious about paying the cost. Are you doing that? Are you willing to pay whatever cost to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus? every day of your life. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the good gifts you have given us. And the best gift of all is Jesus Christ, your only Son, who, who walked away from heaven, put aside his godness and all the rights of his godness, and came down here to, to serve you and to serve us. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for your word that shows us his life in these, three, these four gospels, dear God. Help us, dear God, to focus on him so we can learn how to follow. And dear God, help us to see the wisdom, just the smartest thing, the wisest thing we could ever do is to follow Jesus and to do what he asks us to do, to pay the cost so we can follow him and serve you and bring you the glory that you deserve. Because we know, dear God, when we do that, not only will we save our lives, our lives will be so full of meaning and purpose and joy and peace so many other things, dear God. Help us to be those kind of people every day. Enable us to take up our crosses daily and follow our Lord and our Savior. That is our prayer, dear God, in Jesus' name. Amen.
We're going to stand and sing a hymn, and David's going to come lead us this hymn. It's, it's a great hymn, Footsteps of Jesus. Remember Nathan told you a few weeks ago about how the rabbis would get their disciples, and they would try to follow literally in the footsteps of Jesus? That's what we want to do. Think about that. Maybe you need to make a commitment to start doing that. Maybe you need to up your ante a little bit and do it more consistently. Maybe you've never done it. Then maybe you need to, not maybe, you need to stay, take that step of faith, commit to follow Jesus for the first time in your life. What does God want you to do? Maybe you're looking for a church family that will help you grow, will encourage you and give you opportunities to serve God like the team that's on the mission trip now in Guatemala. If God leads you to make a decision you want to share it with this church, just come down the aisle and tell me and I, we'll share it with the church family and God will bless us for it. Would you stand as we sing?